I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Dana. She has pancreatic disease. Let's talk about it. Right, we are taking a big old dive into the world of pancreases. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's an eye there. A pancreati? A pancreai? Pancreai? Uh, I don't know. Actually, actually, I don't know. Pancreases? Pancreai? Pancreases sounds wrong. Pancreases does sound wrong. It's probably like moose. You know, like it's just pancreas for one. Pancreas. Pancreas. For pancreas. Yeah. 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 Um, do you guys know what your pancreas does? Uh, it produces enzymes that allow me to digest food. Yeah. Did, did, yeah. I mean, it does do that. Does it do other things? I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does too. I, I don't know. The way I, the way I've come to know the pancreas is based on the fact that with cystic fibrosis, my pancreas cannot break down food like the pancreas of the general population. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because of the mucus buildup and the mucus buildup prevents my pancreas from producing the digestive enzymes. And so that leads to a bunch of um, problems with my digestion. And uh, today we are joined by Dana, all the way, all the way from Georgia, the U.S. The state. The state of Georgia. Not the, not, uh, the country. country. Um, and uh, Dana, Dana knows all... A whole, f- I mean, I don't know, Dana, if you know a whole fuckload about the pancreas, but Dana knows what it yeah. is like to have a fucking problem with the pancreas, what a pancreas <laughs> problem might look like, um, because we're going to be talking about um, chronic pancreatitis, which which I don't know a whole lot about, but we're going to get into it. Dana, thank you, first of all, for being on the show. Please give our, our listeners a little introduction into who you are and, uh, and, you know, who is Dana? What's Dana's life all about? Sure. Um, well, my name is Dana. Um, I, I live in Georgia and, um, I was born with pancreatic disease, which is very, very rare for a child to have what I had. I had pancreas, um, pancreatic insufficiency, which is something typically you see in alcoholics, but obviously I was not born an alcoholic. Um, so, you know, I've been struggling with, um, chronic disease since I was a child. So it's been quite the journey (laughs) and I'm, I'm married four dogs, you know, Got a good family, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, sorry, I just want to make that clear. You didn't say that you're married to four dogs. Um, <laughs> no, you are no, married no. and have four dogs. I am married to a human man, yeah. okay. and I have four <laughs> dogs. <laughs> okay, great. I mean, hey, look, we don't know how Georgia operates. Like, I know the states are a little bit different <laughs> We're from not Canada. That backwards. We're okay, not okay, that okay. Backwards. Just, just making sure. Wow. Just making sure. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> Took a risk there to cross a li- cross a cross a comedy line. <laughs> you really can't offend me. So, um, so pancreatic insufficiency. I, so again, w- yeah. what I was saying earlier. I mean, that's what I deal with. Um, uh, my yeah. pancreas doesn't work. And and let me tell you, like my pancreatic insufficiency 
has led to a ton of um, a ton of issues for my my digestive tract. Um, mm-hmm. But I know in reading your application to come on the show, you have been through the fucking ringer when it comes to yeah. what pancreatic insufficiency has done to your your body. Um, mm-hmm. Can you give us a little, like, take us back. Um, my, my guess is that if you were born with this, it didn't take very long for your parents to realize that there's some issues going on with, with you because with a pancreatic insufficiency, it's like all, all nutrition that's coming in isn't really coming in and going out the normal way that it should. And mm-hmm. so issues arise mm-hmm. pretty quickly, at least in the, in the world of CF, like babies, right. that's, that's kind of like early stages where babies will have issues. So for you, what was that experience like for you as a, as an infant? And like, how did your pan- parents kind of manage that? So what happened, um, you know, slowly as I got a little older, um, I could not like tolerate pretty much anything, but strawberries and bread. And I completely stopped growing. My hair stopped growing. Um, I would get sick if I ate anything that was not like really, really low fat. And we went everywhere to try and figure out what was going on. And then um, we finally went to like Choa up in uh, Georgia, the children's hospital. Um, And I have this doctor that it's funny because I wrote poems about him in like elementary school because he like saved my life. And um, Dr. Cohen, and um, he's the one that diagnosed me and put me on enzymes. And at the time, though, they didn't really know why. Um, Eventually, you know, as we get down the line, they did some genetic testing and I have a genetic mutation. So I have a mutated version of cystic fibrosis, but I never had symptoms of any of the lung symptoms or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Wow. Interesting. Super there's so many there's so many um <clears throat> there's so there's 2000 plus mutations of cystic fibrosis mm-hmm. and yeah. some of them do yeah. some of them do what Jer has, some of them do what you have and something that I something that we learned recently in a conversation about talking about cystic fibrosis was that you know, we're in this sort of era with CF now where there are there's you know for 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 somebody like Jeremy who has the most common mutation of CF, there's a there's a drug that treats a lot of like the base, like the root cause of that, which is which is great. Um, but that before there were um, before there were enzymes available, like pancreatic mm-hmm. enzymes or or, or like digest uh, digestive enzymes for people to take in like pill form or mm-hmm. in 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 an exogenous form. CF really wasn't a lung disease. Yeah. It was a it was a malnutrition disease, yeah. and it wasn't until because all the all the all the the people who had CF they died as children because they couldn't digest their food. They didn't even live long enough to develop they, lung yeah, issues. They didn't, yeah. yeah, it never it didn't right. become a lung disease until mm-hmm. they developed enzymes, which got which allowed kids to start living to the age where they could find out that it was a lung disease. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was probably right. a really big red flag though too in Georgia that you were only able to eat strawberries because. Um, I heard that people in Georgia only eat peaches. Wow. So, hey, wow. Look out. Look out. <laughs> it wow. might have been a taste thing, but I just remember that's what my mom said, that all I would eat. And then I would, you know, because I was a kid, I wanted to try things. And so, like, they would give me things to try, and then I would get so <laughs> sick. And then I had, I got so malnourished. Mom said that I looked like, you know, protruded belly, stopped growing. Um, and, you know, and I was I was this, the height of a toddler when I was in like first and second grade. I mean, if I could show you pictures, you wouldn't believe that I, I was that age. Holy wow. shit. 
It, man, it, like when you have, I, I have a, I have a one, I have like an, like a, she's, I have a one year old. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it in months. Cause I know you're just going to shit on me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say weeks. Uh, no, I'm not going to say weeks. She is from 360. She's like 480 days. Um, and like when she was born, the, like the level of, of the level of concern that doctors show for um, gaining weight like immediately is is really mm-hmm. really intense like if they're like if you know you, you have as soon as a kid is born you're having and I'm, this has probably changed since we were all born but like um you know there's like there's like pretty immediate checkups like following in the first like month and it's like you the doctors want to see like if 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 they are not gaining weight within like a week if they haven't showed some sign of gaining weight within a week, uh, then it's like red alert. Like we need to figure mm-hmm. out how yeah. to get this, yeah. how to get this, this child on track to be gaining yeah. like in, in the, and it's on the order of grams. Like they're looking at them gaining yeah. grams. And if you have weight. failure to thrive, they'll call like def- I mean, defects on you. Like, cause they'll, you know, just because they want to make sure someone comes in there and make sure the child is getting the nourishment mm. they need because mm-hmm. also speech therapist, but you know, so. Yeah. Right. Dana, you are a speech therapist. That's what you do. That's mm-hmm. what you do for a living. I, I don't know. I don't know if we covered that on, we were talking about um, having you um, figure out why Brian has a lisp uh, yeah. before we started recording. <laughs> um I, uh, is there anything I can do about my list? Just while, like, you know, <laughs> selfishly. You don't have to answer that. You don't have to I'm answer that. Like, I, I remember being pulled out of class when I was, like, six years old, and they made me say, she sells seashells by the seashore. No, you just fucking like, nailed it, Brian. Brian, but she's I not also, a psychologist. She can't find the root of your trauma for being <laughs> she, called out in class. She was, like, the ther- the speech therapist was always like, like, don't put your tongue between your teeth while you say your asses. And I was like, man, it just feels so hard to like try to think about that all the time. Like, do you have any hacks for me? I love how um, you, I love how you just got serious about that. When we, when we very clearly were like, don't go down this road. Dana, just this like I don't uh, have 30 my seconds cards on me. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you got shown lots of flashcards and kid therapy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of using the techniques they taught you and deciding to use them. Honestly. Yeah. You know, well, the, you, know, you know what the you know you know what the response would have been there, Dana was was to just say you know what Brian it's a skill issue and then let's move on. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so, <clears throat> um, you so okay so again I I kind of I kind of preface with um, the fact that I've gone through a lot of like intense GI sort of issues uh, considering that I I'm I have a, a pancreatic insufficiency. Um, so I, I, I've been no stranger to the hospital and, and you know, mm-hmm. um, admissions, especially when it comes to my digestion, like probably more so than, than the, the lung issue with CF. Um, what, did, <clears throat> what did managing this insufficiency look like for you as, as a youth? I mean, like, did you have to, do you run up against like bowel obstructions, like the, the sort of typical things that people yeah. with pancreatic insufficiency sort of run up against? Yeah, it's... Um- it's, it's, it is a long story, but like, um, as a child, I, um, was in the hospital a good bit. I, you could tr- trying to figure out what was going on, my malnutrition, all of that. Once we got that under control, I kind of felt halfway normal for a few years. And even in high school, I pretended that like, I didn't have anything wrong with me. Um, you know, just, but then I hit, and they always warned us that when I would hit my twenties, there was a chance it would turn to pancreatitis. 
and that I would start getting bouts of um, acute pancreatitis. And sure enough, 18 years old, I get hit with my first bout of pancreatitis. And after that, it was about every couple of months I was in the hospital and it the hospital times increased, increased, increased. So um, by the time I was in my 20s, I was in the hospital more than I was out of the hospital. Oh, my God. Um, and, and it turned into chronic pancreatitis. And that is why we eventually made the choice to remove my pancreas. Can you, can you just for our listeners and, and for myself, actually, I, I don't know what pancreatitis means. Like, what is what, what um, constitutes as pancreatitis and how is that different from a pancreatic insufficiency? Which I am kind of bizarre, and my doctors still are not quite exactly sure how this has happened. But pancreatic insufficiency means you don't produce enough enzymes. But when you get um, pancreatitis, you have an overproduction of enzymes, huh. and it tries to digest itself. Like, oh. essentially, and that's why it's so painful. And then once you do a lot of damage to your pancreas like that over time with acute pancreatitis, it turns into chronic pancreatitis and you're pretty much in pain all the time. Oh my God. So yeah, I got to a point where I was just had reached a fever pitch. I had to do something. And so we went to the Mayo Clinic and then I wasn't ready yet to make the choice to have the pancreatectomy. And then, you know, we went. Eventually, about a year later, I had I made that choice to do that because I was just over it. Oh, my God. I totally oh, blanked fuck. on the other extremely important thing that the pancreas does. Insulin. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Insulin production. Right. Of course. Yeah. So my pancreas started to to fail, essentially. And after all the damage done from the pancreatitis. So I started to show signs of diabetes as well as the GI Ooh. stuff. Whoa. Oh, my God. Whoa. So like digesting food has been a nightmare for you forever. Yeah. Still is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, without a pancreas, is. it's fucking, like, it's a like nightmare. When you, when you get your yeah. pancreas taken out, so you've got a pancreas that like doesn't work very well and you've got to take your digestive enzymes. Like were, was there any, um, was there any, uh, like insulin resistance or anything like that going on? Like before you had the pancreas yeah. out, was there any issues there? Yeah, that's what was starting um, was the insulin resistance. And then um, I don't know if you want to get into this yet, but when I had the total pancre pancreatectomy and islet cell transplant, um, you know what the, the idea is to take the pancreas out, harvest the islet cells, which is what produces the insulin. And uh -huh. then transplant those into the liver, and the liver will house the pancreatic function. No. What However, the fuck? <laughs> no. That's not possible. That is crazy. Very, very new at the time. Um, okay. There were very wow. few hospitals doing it in the United States. Um, but I was desperate. Um, I was just in a fetal position in pain all the time, yeah. um, in the hospital all the time. Like I said, in my application, my friends <laughs> came in the form of nurses and doctors. Yeah. Um, you know, like I spent, I mean, I feel like a decade of my life was spent there. Um, but when they harvested my islet cells and then transplanted them back into my liver, they tore the portal vein which goes into the liver, but we didn't know it at the time because I have very small veins apparently. And so they tore it. So two days later I was internally bleeding, had to have emergency surgery and I lost all my islet cells. Oh, oh my goodness. No. And they can't yeah. like those cells 
which were which were pulled from your own pancreas. Is that correct? Yeah. And then and then mm-hmm. transferred into the liver. Once those are gone, well, once those are gone, yeah. what do they do? Do do they go? Well, we gotta we gotta pull them from a donor, or we gotta. Or, no, or, yeah. um, because, you know, I would have to go on, on immunosuppressant drugs if I took anything from anybody else. Right. And then also they rerouted my entire because they took out my spleen, half of my stomach, some of my whole pancreas, um, the the little bits of my gallbladder, everything. So they rerouted it like the plumbing is so different. There's no way to go back in and put a wow. pancreas or put something else back in there. So, wait, 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 so, wait, wait, yeah, wait. But when I, they take out the. No, the hold, pancreas, hold on. Hold on. They, just. just just because because of the um was it was it the removal of the pancreas that made them reroute everything or was it the was it the leak that caused the the emergency surgery is that what resulted in them kind of plugging in um, the, tubes where tubes don't ch- typically go the rerouting was more of the taking the pancreas out we uh. always knew that going for that route instead of a uh, you know, transplant, a uh, full transplant, like putting another pancreas in would always rule out that option. Mm. Um, and so because I was didn't, they, at the time, they really didn't want me to go on immunosuppressant drugs. They just thought the risk was too high. This was a lower risk. And sure. the, the complication that I had with the liver, the torn um, portal vein is just very extremely rare. They said it had never happened before. Wow. So, wow. um, so they weren't expecting that to happen and me to lose all, you know, okay. Have itself, so. okay so, wow. so just to clarify, so when like your option, when you're having your pancreas removed is that they're going to take out your pancreas and like, you know, um, to, to like probably oversimplify this, your pancreas does two things, which is produce your digestive enzymes and your insulin. You're already taking enzymes orally. So they're going to take out those islet cells from your pancreas, put them in your liver, liver where they can then continue to do the job of the um, insulin production. And then you no longer need a pancreas, so they're not going to put one in. But the other option right. was that they could have taken somebody else's pancreas and done a full transplant, but you would have had to gone on gone on these immunosuppressant yeah. drugs and all these other complications could have ensued right. from there. Yeah, exactly. Fuck, and they just so didn't, wild. they just thought I was too young for that. And they just didn't really think that I needed, they, I mean, it was not presented as like an option. It was more presented as like, this is not an option, but this is an option. Right. Right. So, so, Crazy. okay. Like, there's two ways to do this and yeah. we're going to do it this way. Yeah. yeah. And the portal vein thing is like, yeah. so rare it's never happened yeah. here before it shouldn't be an issue then all of a sudden it, it is. is i i mean Fuck. that like uh, there's two things i've learned today that blow my mind one has to do with redheads and then the other has to do with this uh islet cell um transplant which the redhead thing was not in this conversation it was no. not no and it wasn't I, was even... say, I think i have blonde hair <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the redhead thing had nothing nothing to do with the podcast at all it was just this other thing that you're uh, no it's not true um and so so mind blown um but I take it that, uh, you know, okay, the islet, is it islet, sorry, islet cell? Islet, like spell like I-S-L-E-T, islet. Sure. So the islet cell um, uh, transplant fails because of this issue with the liver, with this vein. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they, what's the, like, what was the next step 
after that, after they went, fuck, we've screwed up. Like, is the is the is the emergency surgery for them to go in and fix that issue, uh, so that your liver can at least function the way it normally does? Um the the function of the emergency surgery was to save my life because I started to like basically lose my mind and they had no idea why. My liver was not functioning more. I was not like um getting all the toxins out anymore. So it was going to my brain. And so like I was having hallucinations. They didn't know why. And wow. and then I woke up in the middle of the night and had blood coming out of all the tubes. And so then they realized, oh, this is what happened. Holy um, oh. Yeah. God like were you even so, were you yeah. even like coherent enough to really Yeah, like, I have you know? very vivid memories of especially of the night that I was bleeding out, the pain. Um, because I had referred pain because like liver, you get referred pain in your shoulder sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had just extreme pain in my shoulder. My dad was in there. Bless his heart. Like, Oh my God. Yes. I'm from the South. So I say bless his heart. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> like he, it's very endearing. Like, he, he was terrified and Aww. you know, like, cause he was in there and they, it was kind of something out of a Grey's Anatomy movie, like mm. scene where they mm-hmm. come and take you out and everybody's like pushing on you and doing things in the tubes and taking you immediately there. So like, um, yeah, the, that, that was just to save my life. I mean, they basically were just trying to stop the bleeding. Wow. Um, I think at that point there was no saving the Isla cells. Do you yeah. basically become okay. diabetic at that point or like what happens with Absolutely. your insulin production? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a brittle, brittle, brittle diabetic. So, um, I have, um, I'm on an insulin pump and a CGM and, um, the CGM, you know, monitors my blood sugar at all times, which communicates with the insulin pump, which helps regulate it. But it's super, super hard to imitate what the body does naturally. Mm. Um, you know, like with technology, like, yes, we've come a long way, but your body just does it so naturally. And then to try and to imitate that is hard. Um, so I have lots of ups and downs. Um, but yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm very insulin, insulin, sensitive to insulin, but if you had just said insulin, I would have been like, I know exactly what she's saying. Totally. Yeah, me too. That's coin of hair. She's insulin, folks. It should be a compound word. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm sensitive to insulin and carbohydrate. So it's like a Mm. roller coaster. Mm. I, I, we had a conversation like just on the insulin and, um, sugar, uh, blood sugar conversation. We had we had a uh, we had the CEO of Diabetes Canada on, on not that long ago, and um, we were talking about. I, I had been reading this book and it really went into a bunch of stuff on diabetes, which was really blowing my mind. And then we had this conversation, which was a really great opportunity. And um, something that I was reading that like really really blew me away was the author was describing the delicacy with which the body controls sugar in the blood and how little sugar mean is the difference between being diabetic and having a regular blood sugar. And it was the amount of, it was like a table. It was the amount of a, a, like a quarter tablespoon of sugar dispersed throughout your entire, in all of the cells of your body is the difference between a being diagnosed as being diabetic mm. versus having a normal blood sugar. I mean, that's like, and that's, how, and that your body with a, with a, a pancreas that's producing insulin in the correct way and everything is 
is it's it's that level of precision that it is constantly mm. absorbing yeah. and releasing insulin and absorbing sugar from the blood like in this like dance mm. all day long with your cells that's p- making that tiny tiny bit of sugar keeping you on the edge of between yeah. diabetic diabetes and re- and regular function imagine trying to manage that yourself all day yeah. long while yeah, you're also right. having a job and mm. life and then you're always constantly worried about that dance exactly that yeah, is my exactly. life exactly it's like it's like yeah. you it's like it's like it's like having had a whole it's like owning a factory with a Ooh. ton of employees yeah. that do a job for you. And all of a sudden they all go on strike and now it's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Yeah. Is that Jara? I just wanted to say, uh, do you find it funny that we've now conditioned Taylor to refer to Peter Atia as an author? Yeah. From yeah. A book that he's yeah. Well, because I just like, I'm, I don't want to say it anymore. I don't want to say it anymore. It's good. You, don't, you really it's don't have so to say good. it anymore. You've said it enough. <laughs> well done. Um, uh, so, okay. So I take it that, you know, after they save your life, um, the the eyelets are gone. You're now a, a brittle diabetic. Uh, that sucks. Um, but what about your digestion? Did that was that like that must have been just been, just been in the clear and good to go for the next decade, right? Nope, nope not, <laughs> not even close. Not, <laughs> not, not, not at the, all. The, the bane of my existence for the yeah. remaining years. So we thought we were going to, you know, do the surgery and everything would be great. And, you know, but not everything happens how you plan it to and complications to surgeries. Read the fine print, um, you know, because sometimes you think, oh, complications are like this could happen, but it like rarely happens to anyone. It happens to me. Now we always go into a surgery. I'm the exception to the rule. I'm like, if it's going to happen to someone, it's going to happen to me. And, um, so what I've happened, what I've had is a lot of intestinal issues. Well, before that I had a lot of gastric ulcers. So because the way they tipped my stomach, the acid was always sitting on the incision spots of my, you know, connecting my stomach to my intestines. Holy shit. And so it was constantly burning that. And so we were having to remove parts, remove parts, remove parts. So eventually I went back and we had a revision surgery and they kind of tilted it back up and helped. And I haven't had an ulcer since then, but that was very painful. And then after that, I had some issues. Sorry, just just to ask on that, Dana, like I'm so confused about how, so they, your stomach was tilted and the stomach acid was, was Pooling. Burning the incision yeah. site. It was, po- it was pooling yeah. along the yeah. So the incision. wait, but how do they do that surgery? Do they do they open you up for that? Yes, it, it was a full on open up surgery again to completely move everything. I I'm not the doctor, so I don't know exactly what angles they yeah. had to do it at and what they did to do that. But um, I know that you know they they did that, and I never had another problem with it. Damn. But apparently, like because those incision sites can be very weak areas of tissue. So it was just literally burning them. The tissue Mm. was just rotting. Like it was, um, and I couldn't do anything. I would take, you know, carafate, all the things you take for an ulcer, like reduce my, you know, acid diet, you know, reduce stress and nothing would help. So it wasn't like your typical ulcer that you get. It was because of my anatomy. It was like a Um, super ulcer. So, yeah. So once we fix that then we thought we're in the clear and then um about a few months after that um 
we found out I had a blockage. Um, it was actually the day my niece was born and she was in one hospital and I got, had to go to the next hospital and, um, uh, I was in severe pain and we figured out it was a blockage, but the doctors were kind of confused because what happened was extremely rare. My intestines telescoped. So they go inside of each other. Intussusception. Yeah. And one of the rookie um, residents found it and everybody was cheering for her and like slapping her on the back because it was like, yeah, Um, we found out what's wrong with this girl. Um, And then I had to have surgery. Um, And then that time I did not have to have an ileostomy, but I had several blockages after that. And I've had three ileostomies and three reversals. Holy Because after that, we figured out my intestines like to twist as well. Oh my God. Whoa. Okay. So I, so, uh, this is wild. Um, because you're the first person I've ever met who has also had, uh, intussusception, which I had as well. Um, oh, okay. I've had it twice. I had it when I was, when yeah. I was like in my, in my youth, when I was like 16 or so. And then I had it again in, in, um, 2017. And I had, so I had a hemicolectomy. So I had 75% of my large intestine removed, um, mm-hmm. to, to, fix the problem. Um, it's so when you had, when, when, when this, when this rookie doc found out that you had an intussusception, mm-hmm. when I, when I first had it, when I was in my, when I was in my teens, the way that we fixed it was through, um, like a really intense, <laughs> long enema session. We're, we're basically, they were like yeah. forcing liquid through my, my, um, my large intestine until it got to that ileocecal valve where, where the telescoping was happening. And the, and the liquid was basically unfurling, un, like pushing back the, the small intestine so it could come back out the other side and mm-hmm. go back to normal. Yeah. <clears throat> it was now, really, the ooh was really in the way that Jer was putting his hands on yeah, his form, yeah. on his form, like grabbing his form and, and forcing his form <laughs> yeah. up, upwards. That's yeah, nasty. Um, I don't know why. There's nothing but beautiful I, about an, in, an enema or the intestines or no, anything. There's nothing. Yeah. nothing especially when they, especially when they start swallowing each other. It's fucking it's Man, weird. Now, I, the, I have a tendency to picture everything as a lazy river and the amount of forceful water going through this lazy river right now is yeah, you're, really you're gonna wanna, you're going to want to install a wave pool at the back end of that river oh. and, and, and push it up, <laughs> up river. Oh. So... So the the second time around when I was in 2017, that was I mean that intussusception was was so severe that you know my small intestine had telescoped pretty much over halfway of of the length of my large intestine. That's how much um, ground was covered with my small intestine, kind of like like snaking mm-hmm. its way in. So the only way that they could fix that was through a laparoscopic surgery, where they went in and they removed 75 percent of my large intestine. They were able to mm-hmm. reconnect the two, so I didn't need an ostomy. Um, but that's a pretty like pretty severe serious surgery. So when it comes to your in, in intussusception, the when when this doctor found it, um, what what like what was the process for them to to reverse that or to 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 fix that issue? Was it laparoscopic surgery or did they do the sort of like blast it blast it with with liquid to try to push it back? It was a long process. The very first time I had it, I had a complete blockage and um, they were worried the tissue was dying. So they had to remove, like they had to go in and remove um, part of it. And then I, 
as I kind of like progressed, I would have blockages. Some of them would be like semi blockages and, you know, you do the really like fun stuff with the enemas and the, you know, they put stuff, you, you know, put the NG tube down and, you know, try to get everything out or push everything in. And it, you know, it's a beautiful process. Um, and then, so I had that and then I had my partial col- like a partial colectomy done. Um, because then I had problems with that. And then I had, um, I was septic after that surgery because they poked a hole that they did not, um, go back and, you know, repair. Then I had my first ileostomy after that because they had to remove the whole thing. And then, um, after that I had several other blockages got to the point where they had removed so much of my intestine. They said that I might have to have an, like an ileostomy permanently if this last surgery didn't work because, they had staped because what my intestines were doing was moving and twisting. So they kept trying to staple it so it would stay where it needed to stay and not twist and then also remove the dead tissue. But they, God. there's only so much tissue you can remove. Um, so it was my last chance. And we went back to like the medical university of South Carolina is where we went back to eventually. And they did one last surgery and I have not had a blockage. I've had a couple of issues, but nothing, nothing where I have to have an ostomy again. But honestly, like my heart goes out to anybody that has to have an ileostomy or a a colostomy because that's some hard stuff right there. Did anybody ever like, is there any um, underlying reason for like the incredible, um, uh, nomad lifestyle that your intestines yeah. have liked to live? I know we, I think, I mean, if I, I mean, like I said, I'm no doctor, but um, no one's ever told us, but if they, if they had to guess, it would have to do with my original surgery that I had with the total pancreatectomy, yeah, something there happened yeah. and um, just kind of messed up the whole process, you know? Yeah. And, um, but no, no one knows for sure, but you know, I don't know. No one knows for sure anything that's going on with me. Cause you know, I also have adrenal insufficiency and polycystic ovarian syndrome and they're all, they're all like, how does this all fit together? But it just like, doesn't. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Right. So, so they, so they have sort of asked that question. Like, is this all, is this all happening under the umbrella of like yeah. a mega syndrome? Yeah. But, like but my mom, like know. for instance, my mom has lupus. And, right. you know, if you ever watch House, you know, rule it's out always lupus, lupus yeah. you know. So, um, you know, they have done a, quite a few, you know, the ANAs like to test for that. And I have tested positive for a couple of them, but that's not the only like factor that diagnoses you with lupus. There's a lot mm. of factors like it takes mm-hmm. you years. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had one doctor that told me I had lupus, but then I went to a specialist. They said I didn't. But, you know, to kind of keep checking in. So like. Because sometimes you, if you have a bunch of weird stuff going on, it could be some big autoimmune disorder. But like, mm. I don't know. That's kind I, of the sweet thing about like the lupus diagnosis for TV is that there's like such a little checklist for it that it's like, you know, a TV drama's um, like wet dream. Like there's so many little boxes to tick and things to uncover. And yeah. But it is super fascinating because like you, because when you, if you look at somebody and you go, man, you have just had so many individual issues. Like it would, mm-hmm. it, it just seems so, it just seems so improbable that they're, that they're all just happening in their own, 
on their own. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at it this way. Like if, if, if I was ever diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and I just kind of grew up, there would have been so many issues that I would have had that people yeah. would have went, fuck, I wait on this. They're all fucking, they're all over the place. It's just, it's his oh, digestion. It's his so lungs. Many it's his... Any, yeah. Any doctor I want to get into, they're like, yeah, you're like a, like a problem to solve. But then yeah. they, you know, they think I'm interesting. <laughs> I'm well, like a thing... science experiment. Until they can't figure out. And then, and then they go, you know <laughs> what? We're bored like, with okay. you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing with cystic fibrosis like, okay. is, yeah. is that they, they've, they've, there's enough, there's enough of you yes. where they go, this is yes. happening to so many people. We yes. can classify it. But then you run into these people, like yeah. the folks like Dana and, and, you know, we've spoken to other people on the show in the past of like these people who either speculate that they have some sort of super rare genetic mutation, like CFTR mm-hmm. g- genetic mutation or they or they know that they have a super rare you know m- mutation of the CFTR gene and all of those people too are all dealing with these like fucking a plethora of issues that kind of seem un mm. like you know unattached to each other yet it it sort of always kind of like points back to well you you do have a a, mute, a genetic mutation that is that is throwing a wrench into the entire system. And, and what, it does make sense. What is, what, what, at what point in time did you learn that you had a, a mute, a, a CF mutation? Um, I was probably, um, young college, um, when I had gone to the Mayo clinic and they did genetic testing. Mm. Did that, was that some type of revelation at all for doctors? Or like, did that start to put a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together in terms of like your past medical history? Did that like answer questions? It's hard to say that because, you know, like growing up, I've had a bunch of specialists, but they all don't work together all the time. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes you get piece and piece and piece and piece and they read it, but they focus on their lane. Yeah. And so yeah. there weren't a lot of uh, questions answered. It was just more like, this is for our research. Oh mm. yeah. By the way, you have this, you know, gene, but there's like really nothing uh, this mm-hmm. mutated thing, but there's nothing we can do about it. It doesn't really change your everyday life. So, yeah. Mm. Um, and it didn't give us any more answers really. I think that's, I think that's the common experience for people who end up with a super rare mutation of the CFTR gene. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you're yeah, yeah, sure. You've got, you've got a mutation of the CFTR gene, which it by all means, means that you have a form of cystic fibrosis, but you are such an outlier in like even the CF community that mm-hmm. like, we just don't have many answers for you. And and so like, those are yeah. the people within the, unfortunately within the CF community that sort of just get left behind. It's like, you know, those are the people that aren't going to benefit from gene modulator drugs or that aren't going to be covered in the, like the sort of spotlight of the world of CF. But, <clears throat> and not to like, try to speculate or like tell or like say what could have been, you know, um, beneficial for you. But like, I can, when you talk about it being like, you know, people, people, um, working in their silos, like they, you know, they focus on the pancreas. So they look at the pancreas and this person looks at the digestive tract or the GI tract. So they, they focus on that. Whereas like the benefit of, uh, being involved with a CF clinic is like, Mm. it's there. It's like a, it's a, it's a team of people that are all in their lane through the lens yes. of cystic fibrosis yeah. and yeah. and knowing the connections that CF has 
across like a number of different body systems and yeah so like, but I do, I do wonder, like, I do wonder if CF someone, clinic, someone or? in Dana's like position, I, maybe this is a good question that I'll like bring to the CF clinic next time I go. Cause I would be curious to know, like how, at least here in Canada, like, it, you know, my, my setup is I go to the CF clinic two, three times a year. And it's a, it's a mm-hmm. whole process of them like looking me over. And I know our medical systems are very different, but yeah, I am curious to know, like, at least here in Canada with the CF clinics, like how. If they came across a case like yours where they go, yeah, it's this person with a super rare mutation and, you know, like so rare that we also kind of don't really exactly know how it works, which is, which unfortunately is the case with a lot of people that have those like super rare genetic mutations because there's so few of you. Um, I, I mm-hmm. wonder how they would approach that as, you know, I, I mean, I would hope, I would hope that they, they go, well, the doors are wide open. Like right. you, you yeah. technically have CF, so we're going to take you on and we're going to do what we can. But I, I am, I am. I, I don't know. I, I'm curious to know like what, or are they like, well, the there's not really like, we don't really feel like there's like much we can offer. Mm. Like you don't have enough, you, you, you don't, don't have, have enough, CF, CF, you don't have CF enough. You don't us. have enough. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't qualify. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause I don't, but yeah, I mean the, the best thing I can do for myself here or that I know, you know, and I also live in South, you know, United States. And so sometimes the better hospitals and clinics are in the North, which I've been up to them, but, um, we have some good ones here too. I live about an hour away from them and they have more of the team dynamic where the specialties kind of come together and communicate, Mm. which I refused now to go to any hospital or clinic that doesn't have that like Mm. way that they work Mm -hmm. because otherwise it is in the silos and nobody communicates and, Oh, here's your diabetes, but here's your adrenal insufficiency, but they're both endocrine systems. So they both need to be seen, Mm. you know, and they both, you know, also affect the GI system and, it's all, you know, it's all one thing. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. like, I appreciate the whole patient outlook and, but I don't know of a CF clinic here and I don't know if mm-hmm. I would qualify for that mm-hmm. because I don't yeah. know like how CF you have to be. Um, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's just something I don't know. I don't know if we can have that around here. Yeah. That's sort of the same reason why I work with um, uh, spirit healers because I feel like, you know, they really take a holistic approach of like looking at my aura and like really like yeah. they, yeah, they really leave like no stone unturned. Brian's completely abandoned Western medicine. Yes. <laughs> are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research up-to-date studies and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, something that I find so striking about this conversation so far is, like, you really... Everything? ...laid out, like, so much um, shit that you've been through, and, like, yet, you know, you, you seem to have, like, this this really, like bubbly outgoing attitude and you you mentioned that um you know you're married and you have you're married to four dogs and (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious like which one do you love the most (laughs) i'm curious what what effect like all of i mean you mentioned too that like you you lived in a you spent more time in the hospital in one year than than you did out of the hospital so like what sort of effect have this has this had on your life in general um 
everything. Um, I, you know, didn't get married until my thirties. And I think I probably would have gotten married earlier than if I had, you know, been out and able to meet people and do normal things. Um, which is fine. I like my journey I've been on, but, um, it's taken a lot of therapy, um, Mm. to grieve the loss of things that I thought I would have, or the way I thought my life would look. Um, for example, like we don't have to get into a whole conversation about it, but like, I can't have kids and, you know, because of my health. And so like, I've had to, you know, really kind of deal with the loss of that. Mm. And then also kind of how that, you know, plays into being married to someone and how that plays into our future. And, um, and sometimes you get angry Mm -hmm. because like, I'm just like, well, shit, you know, like, why did this steal everything from me? It just stole everything from me, but then Mm. something good comes along and then you can realize that, you know, it's not, you know, the worst thing, but sometimes you do feel persecuted. (laughs) You do feel a little persecuted. And so like depression plays a role and anxiety plays a role. Um, Anxiety about when am I going to get sick next? When's Mm. it going to happen again? You know, like I've made this life for myself now, but is it all going to go to shit and, like a couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I am curious to, if you're comfortable with getting into like that, that idea of not being able to have kids and, and that conversation, how it comes up in your relationship. Like when did you find out that, that you wouldn't be able to have kids? Um, I, to be honest, I've always, you know, um, who hasn't watched Steel Magnolias. I always had a feeling like, have you ever watched Steel Magnolias? <laughs> I know, I, 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 I know, okay. I know the movie and I've never seen it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, anyways, the reference, but, um, so I always just kind of had a feeling it wouldn't be a good idea, but I figured I could kind of like muscle through it yeah. and at least like pop out one. And, you know, but I was told about a year and a half ago for sure. No, this is not a thing. Um, you cannot do this. You will die. Um, or, and the baby won't make it either, you know, so did they explain what the, like, why, like, what's the, what's, what physiologically, what's, what's preventing that from happening is just that your body can't handle the stress because you're there. There's so much taxing your system and PCOS exactly already. It's basically like, I would never want to compare a baby to a leech, but it's like, you know, they take everything and I already struggle to get my own nutrition anyways. And then I'm a severe, severe diabetic and that affects your blood sugar like crazy. Mm. And, um, so it's just, and then, you know, also if it puts pressure on my intestines, it could move what they've done. Like it's just, Mm-hmm. It's just not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> were you? Were you? And then um, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, so like, you know, there's all mm-hmm. that too. Right. Were you? Were you with your partner already when you sort of came to this realization? And like, how did yeah. that conversation? What did um, that look like? Honestly, like, I'm married to the best guy, but like, he was so supportive, and he had already decided even before we found out for sure, because he had almost lost me, like twice before that, like, um, when I went septic and all of that. Mm. And he was just like, I don't want to be a single dad. I don't want to do this without you. I'd rather have you than risk anything. He was Mm. like, this is not an option. We're not going to do it. And so he kind of just was already adamant. No. And Mm. I was like, well, if I get pregnant, it'll be fine. But like, then my doctor told me no. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's good to be on the same page because like, you know, those, Mm. like those, those are obviously like, you know, those are gigantic things in people's lives. And like to be, to be, yeah, to be on the same page with, with, with each other is really the most, yeah. 
the most important thing, even if, even if it's, even if it's kind of like against what, you know, again, I don't, I don't know if you, you, it sounds like you were interested in having children, but like, even if it is against the grain of what you might've originally wanted, that you can both be there together mm. is like, yeah. is, is the hard and important part. He's just been very supportive and mm. cares just about me and, you know, us and our life together. And he's completely, like, we've completely changed our trajectory and, not saying it's been easy, but you know, no, that's no, what we're no, doing. No. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so <clears throat> just to kind of like, um, just to kind of piece this all together, could be because it, it, it really, I mean, this is a really eye opening conversation speaking to someone who, who, and I said it earlier, you know, it's like I, I preface it by saying you've been through the ringer, um, but to, to really sit down and like speak to you for almost an hour, it, it, it really becomes evident that like you've, you've been through so much physically. Mm-hmm. It's fucking wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it re- like, it's, it's, it's a miracle. Like it is, it is a wild thing that we can sit here and have this conversation with you. Um, yeah. So you, you do not have a pancreas. Correct. You have, you do not have a colon. Is that correct? You full, full. Correct. Okay. You have, um, you still have some of your small intestine. Some. Okay. You are, uh, are you on a full-time, um, like, uh, uh, colostomy? Is that the, is that the term for like, if you don't have a colon, you, you just go straight into a colostomy? How does that work? No, what, I mean, to be quite <clears throat> frank, um, what I deal with is I have like short bowel syndrome, essentially. So I, that is another reason why I'm so malnourished. Even now to this day, I struggle staying nourished because things go through me like you wouldn't believe. Like a dog. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just like, real just like, just like, yeah. just like Jerry, you guys are two peas. I mean, yeah, just, just like me. So yeah. So yeah. Like honestly, there, there's a lot of parallels here to like my experience. Um, although, yeah. although you, you're winning right now, you're taking the cake. Um, <laughs> it's not uh, a <laughs> Hey, if I, it were, <laughs> if it was, you'd be winning. Um, Everything's a little bit of a so, so like, uh, and, and we don't have to go down this route if this is like, if you're not comfortable with this, but like, um, like pooping sucks for me. Like I, oh, yeah. like shitting used to be fun. Shitting is no longer fun for me. Um, oh, yeah. so for you, is it, is it, I'm, I'm guessing it's kind of like a similar process where it's like, you don't really have formed shits. Like it's just, it's just liquid Maybe on a lucky day, you'll get like a little bit of a formation, but like really it's just like, it's just liquid shits for life. 100%. And, you know, I work right now in home health, so I'm on the road all the time. So like I have memorized bathrooms. Yeah. If I eat, I know 20 minutes later, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. So I haven't memorized where to go. Guys, I was thinking about making an app called because I was in the, the London airport and I was looking for a quiet, peaceful bathroom to take a poop in. And I, I was like, there should be an app where you can go on yeah. and look for like rated bathrooms, like clean, don't quiet. Say it, don't say it. Clean, don't, yes. don't, we got to strike. You got you to cut this. You got to cut this. You got to cut this from the podcast. Actually, the, I do. Like, we, don't want the, we don't want the IP out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's a good idea? The Paris mint. Dude, the Paris guy that we, we spoke literally to last just week. had a conversation yeah. with a guy who has shy, shy bladder syndrome. And like, he has and, a phobia of peeing in it's public. A, it's like an extreme phobia of peeing oh, in public. Wow. Yeah. And we had a conversation. This about app is like, for him. We had a conversation about like, where's your, 
Like he he like if he's gonna pee in public, it has to be like the most specific yeah. Yeah. scenario. And so we we went on a, about a ten minute um, thing about what our favorite public bathrooms are. Dude, this honestly, is a, this is an app idea, and, Brian. And here's the thing, guys: is it we're gonna get rich? We gotta we gotta give some of the profits to the thing, Dana. Unfortunately, unfortunately <laughs> it has to be subscription based. Yeah, because yeah. totally you can't have a no no. We only want the sh- we, only, we only want the serious shitters and the serious pissers right, yeah, to be I mean, using this because if it's yeah. free, then you're gonna get That's everybody right. going. Yeah. And spoiling. Yeah, we can even download the app, <laughs> yeah. but there's in-app purchases. Like <laughs> yeah, find the yeah, clean yeah. potties, find, yeah. find the right. ones that we like the call- one uh, the onesies or you yeah. know the one stalls or there's multiple stalls yeah. or yeah, how busy right. is the bathroom I have to, we, we I have should to call it we should call it locals only <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah let's do it. Uh, um, I, I do have one quick question though about that um do you have a tushy yeah a right that was a bidet that, yeah no Okay. Okay. Life changing. Hold on. <laughs> Game changer. We're stopping. We're, we literally have to stop the podcast for a second here. Uh, as from one from one liquidy pooper to another liquidy pooper, I am telling you right now, Dana. Uh huh. Invest. In a bidet. It will, it change, will your life. change your fucking life. It's a game changer. And like really? a, a, t- a tushy bidet is like it's like seventy bucks. You you install it onto your. You don't have to fucking buy a new toilet or nothing. It just it sits on your toilet uh, toilet seat, and it. Uh, oh my god, Dana! Dana, is, we implore you. It is, please it buy change, a bidet. It will change your life. I mean, I, I mean, everybody, anybody who just has regular shit should have it. Should also have one because 100%. it's just like it's great. But <laughs> I have I have gotten so many people on the fucking bidet train since I got one that people who don't even need them and they're going, it's changed my life as someone who like you and I are kin here. I'm telling you right now, this thing will change the way that you relate to pooping at your own house. It's not going to change the way you relate. It it will also change. Unfortunately, it will also change you the way you relate to pooping in public because it's going to make those shits yeah. What they are now, but when you know yeah. what, how good it can yeah. be, it makes yeah. them worse. Every time I poop, every yeah. time I have to poop here instead of at home, it's I get so, I, a little piece of me dies. Totally. I just got back from being away for a week, and I actually was, I swear to God, and I kid you not, I was so excited to come home from what was a really fun trip just to use my tushy. <laughs> Like not joking. I know you're not joking too. I know I was it's legitimately crazy. excited it's to come home and use it. Wow. I, mean, I'm, I'm I honestly, into that. It's yeah, my favorite I'm, product I'm, I've ever bought. I mean, bought. I mean yeah. have <laughs> you ever have you ever used a bidet in your life? No. It's yeah. not that common down down here. No, I know you I know you I know you Georgians don't don't No one wants anything near their butt down there. I know. But listen, a little bit of water is not gonna hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um if you can tell we really endorse this product <laughs> and honestly they're not even a fucking sponsor it's, of the show it is crazy I was about to say, people you reach should it. get like you know Fuck, do it, we, get a sponsor and do an ad we should maybe we'll turn this uh we're so enthusiastic we'll turn this into a, this a, a social short, post yeah, 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 sure. on it. <laughs> um i i mean really I, I i gotta say like i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty astounded by your experience and and to brian's point like you you Sure, you know, I find like podcasting is kind of like a first date. It's like you want to put the best version of yourself forward as you would on a first date. And so I know that we're getting that version of you here, but but even to be able to speak to the the truly like the horrors that you've been through with the the issues with your pancreas. It's like it's 
it's really, it is really nice to see that you are still able to like live a life and, and project to others that like you're, you are, you are okay. You, you're, yeah. you're, your body's not okay, but like you, you are okay. And I think it's really important for people who are going through a really fucking hard time to hear that from people who have actually also been going through a really hard time. Um, I am curious before we wrap, I, like just, just out of my own sort of like curiosity when it comes to the way that your body works, because, because we are so similar currently, um, what does like, what does managing all of this look like for you? I take it. You still take enzymes whenever you eat. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, it's a, um, part-time, if not full-time job, like just keeping up with, you know, um, making sure all my medicines are filled. I take enzymes, I do CGM, I do insulin, I take cortisol, I take, you know, Cymbalta because along with chronic illness comes depression. And so, you know, I have quite, it's just, you know, cause it, when one runs out, it turns like another, you know, and then I switched jobs. So we had to switch insurances and they wanted me to switch completely type of insulin pumps. It's all complicated down here. What kind of enzymes? So, do you, yeah. what, what kind of enzymes do you take? Currently Creon. Yo, Creon. What's up? How many do you take per meal? Um, I usually take two to three. Oh, okay. Um, and I have to look at, I don't remember the actual um, dosage of it. I mean, the, the amount that's in it, but, yeah. um, I kind of go back and forth depending. Cause I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, if you don't take them, then you, all the fat. <laughs> yeah. Go straight through. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, yeah. And it's not pretty yeah. in the toilet. I'll tell you that. Right yeah. Now, yeah. And then your hair, and then my hair stops growing. My nails get thin and it just gets bad. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I take like eight every, with every meal. Um, I and... have to be careful because if I take right. too many, then I could get a blockage. So like, it's a fine balance. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I I wonder if that would be the case with me. So what, Oh, would that have been the case with, would that have been a potential case with me when I took your enzymes that yeah. time? I don't know. I've that's a good, that's a good had. question. I mean, I, yeah. I, um, do you know, do you, know I just me- thought it was more the merrier. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought. Do you know the mechanism of like, of like, like how that, how, how, how does that work? How would you get a blockage by by increasing the amount of pancreatic enzymes running through your system? What's what's causing the block there? Because I have a structural issue with my intestines. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, if this for you know this is getting to get gross, but if the stool is thicker, because you know if you take more enzymes, the fat oh, sticks. You know, it's more liquidy, right, right. and so if the stool is thicker and the structure is too small. It could cause a blockage right. or at least, you know, major constipation. <clears throat> right. So. Sure. Right. Okay. Wow. So, so you really, you're friend. really balancing this fine line where it's like you need the amount of enzymes to mm-hmm. break down the fat so that you can digest it, but you also right. don't want to take too much because then it'll, it'll give you yeah. formed shits with most people are like fucking, I mean, most people would, should be glad that they're having form, formed shits uh, yeah. coming from someone who doesn't, uh, haven't had one in in fucking if like five years, but um, wow, that's so fascinating. I, I'm um, yeah, like my, Dana, my mind is, is blown. My mind this you, whole episode. You really, really, really just have to get a tushy, <laughs> and you really have to send us an email in like you know a week after using it, and just let us know what you think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm this close to fucking buying one and just sending it to you. Yeah, like, I know. I, actually, <laughs> we, I mean, we should. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a top-notch product. I'll try it for sure. Anything to make it more a pleasurable experience. It's oh my change goodness, your life. it'll change yeah. your life. Um, amazing. I, what's the biggest thing that? What's the biggest thing that pancreatitis has taken away from you? Hmm. Um. What I always thought before growing up and especially um in college and everything when i really wanted to finish my masters and everything i wanted normalcy mm. i wanted to feel normal cuz even when i was in you know elementary school i had to go to the nurse's office i had to be you know be gone for days at a time i had to, you know i never felt normal and i know there's not a normal and as i grow older i realize that there's no such thing as that but normalcy was something I craved. And I would get so like sad when I would see people complain about everyday things like having to go to work when all I wanted to do was have a job mm. and go to work and have a family and, you know, like a house and not have to like at the time I live with my parents, you know. So I guess normalcy is what it stole from me. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um. Uh, a platform to connect with other people. Um, because like, I really have, you know, cause I'm pretty open about it. I'm not embarrassed about it. It's nothing I did to get this or deserve this. So why not? And, um, and so I, I've had a lot of other people reach out to me saying that they, you know, appreciate that. And, you know, I'm no inspiration. I'm just, I'm just surviving. But like, you know, I also would like, I'd like to be there for other people and I've gotten the opportunity to make some friends that way. Yeah. it's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, Dana, um, I, thank you. I, I mean, I said earlier, you know, it's, it's really, it's always nice to be able to hear the perspective of someone who's gone through something really tough so that it, so that it puts things into perspective for people. And, uh, yeah. I think you did that in a really, in a really beautiful way. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself, the guys and all of our listeners. Thank you so much for sharing this story. I mean, it's, it's, it really is wild and it's, it's, uh, it's rad that we can have the opportunity to speak to someone like yourself. Um, and mm -hmm. that, you know, that through the, the, uh, advent of fucking science, you're still here. I mean, it's, it's, it's really yeah. wild that, that. You know, yeah, you've gone through all the living over here without a vital organ. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's fucking crazy. It's wild. <laughs> no colon still rolling. But again, thank you so much. This was this was a real treat. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. 
That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.